Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. always ask me like where are you from and they expect a long answer but what I connect to the most is my Palestinian heritage. I spent so long of my life trying to assimilate and it wasn't really until my grandmother died in 2019 that I realized like what a mistake that I made and so ever since then I've been trying to like reincorporate this culture back into my life. Uh, I did not want to stay in America, but I fell in love with a guy and decided, all right, I'm gonna have to stay in America. And that's how I'm here. You know, I always look forward to getting it, you know, in community with other Arabs, really any diaspora Arabs, and just being with them and being able to have these conversations and not have to explain everything all the time. Or just say to each other, oh yeah, I get it. Uh, We all get it. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. And to get us started today, I'm joined by our producer, Regina Dehir. Hey, Regina. Hi, Kai. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, you launched our Notes from America Summer Playlist Project. Woohoo! How's it going so far? Just to recap, Uh the focus of this year's Summer Playlist Project is music of the diasporas. We're looking for song submissions from listeners that speak to the experiences or personal reflections of being part of some kind of diaspora. Right. And so you kicked it off with a conversation with these guys from a music duo called Wake Island about the Arab diaspora parties they found. It's really cool. They're called Lay Lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they made the first submission to our playlist with this song, Ya Raya. Ya Raya. which has been stuck in my head ever since. And we're still asking you listeners, submit your song and stories. What's a song that represents your personal diaspora story? And Kai, that question about diaspora is clearly resonating with people because we've gotten some really amazing responses so far. For example, we heard this from Dalila in Astoria, Queens. So I have been really obsessed with St. Mavant. 
He is Palestinian and grew up in Jordan and went to school in California and is now like a international superstar, which I love for him. And he sings in Arabic, French, and English, which I feel like is really representative of like the diaspora kid experience. Like the way that you process the world is just multicultural and multilingual. I think this is one of the first times I've heard an artist sing like seamlessly back and forth between three different languages. Um, specifically like the three languages that I speak also is really cool to me. All right, Dalila, with your three languages, I'm impressed. Right? And thanks, Dalila. The next one I want to share with you is from Safi, who is one of the other co-founders of those pan-Arab parties we talked about previously. But in addition to helping start these cool parties, he's also a PhD candidate interested in diasporas in general. He started off by kind of wrestling with the premise of our diaspora question. Here's Safi. What is diaspora in the first place? Right? Like, who's diaspora in this land? Who's a settler? Who's a native? So those are all, you know, challenging questions for me when thinking in the context of the U.S. What makes me a diaspora? Like, is diaspora an identity that someone carries with them, that it's like a badge, which we see around a lot of, you know, identity politics, for example? Is it like a living experience? Is it a way of being in the world? And those are all really good questions. But in the end, Safi did also recommend a song. One by the iconic Lebanese singer, Feyrouz. And he started off by joking about how some people consider Feyrouz to be your mama's music. Okay. But when Safi is DJing, he likes to use a song to close out a party. It definitely hits different when you play it at 5 a.m. Uh, at the end of the party, after a lot of like, you know, partying hard and... It's almost morning, um, and I, I like kind of bringing it full circle into that kind of joyful, uh, shared moment. So the last submission I want to share with you is from Linda from Dearborn, Michigan. Linda started off her submission by explaining that her grandparents were immigrants to the U.S., and they were really focused on assimilating for themselves and for their children. My parents don't speak Arabic. They don't listen to Arabic music. They like grew up on The Doors, Michael Jackson, Donna Summer, like these were their favorite artists. So this is what we were exposed to. But when I was growing up, like rap music was huge. So the song that I want to share with the playlist is called Immigration to the Trap by Belly. Immigration to the trap, generations to adapt, life sentence in my lap. He's a Palestinian rapper. And it definitely explains something that I observed happening in the Dearborn, Detroit area. Like in the 2000s, the war years, there were a lot of refugees coming from Iraq and a lot of Yemeni immigrants to Detroit. And they literally were moving into the neighborhoods that we referred to as like where the trap houses were because those were like the most inexpensive homes that were available and the neighborhood started changing a lot. And now this area is like Little Baghdad or Little Lebanon. It's like a vibrant immigrant community. So Kai, 
I love how Linda localized her submission. And we learn a little bit about her experience growing up in Dearborn. So thanks to Linda, and thanks everyone who submitted to the playlist so far. And that's just a taste of what we're hearing from listeners so far. We do still want to keep hearing from you, dear listener. So did any of this spark any inspiration? What's the song that represents your personal diaspora story? Send it to us, and we'll include your submission in this year's Notes from America Summer Playlist. You just go to notesfromamerica.org and look for the little green record button. Start with your name and where you're from, and then tell us the name of the song and an explanation of why you chose it. Maybe it's a story or it's a description of a feeling, whatever. Make it your own. And already now you can start listening to the playlist. You go to wnyc.org slash playlists and stream it. We're going to keep updating it throughout the summer with your submissions and it's going to be the new hotness. But Regina, what about you? What's your contribution to this project? Because I know that all of this was motivated, at least in part, by your own sort of wrestling with your relationship to being Ghanaian. Definitely. So I just had my traditional Ghanaian engagement ceremony, which is a huge deal in West African culture. Mm. Honestly, it's so significant that it's considered to be more important to my family than my actual wedding will be. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a big part of that ceremony was choosing a song for the big moment at the end of an hour-long ceremony when I had my grand entrance. (laughs) So you have to understand that I was being asked to pick a song to define the most African moment of my life. (laughs) So naturally, I took about three months to decide. Naturally. And at the end of those three months, the song I chose and my contribution to the playlist is Sibility by Aria Star. Wait, you said this is the most African moment in your life. Tell me more about that. Well, important context about me My parents were both born and raised in Ghana in West Africa, but I was born and raised in this very small, mostly white town in Southern New Jersey. Mm. And to be honest, I never really thought about my family's roots in Ghana growing up, not because I didn't care or that I didn't want to know. It just wasn't something top line in my life, unless there was a family party. Right. And then suddenly there was this, Ghanaian music, I didn't really know, and people talking in a dialect, I never really learned how to speak. And in those instances, it was very top line that I wasn't Ghanaian enough. But then I was able to visit Ghana for the first time in college, and everything changed from there. I was able to see that this place where my parents grew up is actually this beautiful paradise. And meanwhile, Everyone around the world was listening to these amazing Afrobeat songs. I had never felt so proud of my heritage. So it's quite an evolution that you've described here. You went from not feeling very Ghanaian to Afrobeats being your personal anthem at this big moment in your life. And it's just really striking how it took you seeing Ghana for yourself to feel that sense of belonging. But my question is, what is Afrobeats, actually? Well, Afrobeats is less of a music style, per se, and more of a descriptor for the fusion of decades' worth of sounds. It's really this fusion of music from Nigeria, Ghana, the U.S., and the U.K., 
all places that connect to me. And Kai, I recently read this book called A Quick Ting on Afrobeats by Christian Adolfo. He's a writer and a DJ, and his book breaks down this history in a way that I have never heard before and that I find so inspiring. Christian is British, his parents are Ghanaian, and like me, he's found connection with his West African culture through music. Afrobeats is now like a source of pride and the environments in which, you know, this music which you just listen to at home with like your parents and you didn't really understand the lyrics so much but you just felt the groove, you felt the rhythms and stuff. And, you know, there are classics now you listen to with them together that you readily, you know, enjoy, you feel a sense of grounding and listening to music at home because a lot of us were, you know, maybe felt afraid when we were out at school or your mom's calling you after school being hey Kwame and you're like look at my mom being like please 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 don't call me Kwame here you know your your home culture and your culture at school your culture outside is like so really different and I think just having that music as a starting place that allows conversations to start and understand a bit more about like where you come from as you get older yeah it has really allowed me and I think a lot of people to defrost and find a sense of ownership with role models who had their own kind of struggles and identity and let that come out through their lyrics or how they produced their songs as well. It was such a big thing for me to see and envision to allow me to dream one day, like, okay, cool, I could in some way contribute back to this culture. Coming up, Christian Adolfo walks Regina through the history he outlines in his book, A Quick Ting on Afrobeats, the story of a global Black sound after a break. My name's Regina, and I'm a producer with the show. You may remember that last year, we started the Notes from America Summer Playlist. We collected submissions from you and curated a playlist that everyone could enjoy. Well, summer is here again, and I'm happy to announce we're launching our second summer playlist. A couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with the guys from a band called Wake Island. They talked about how music has become such a powerful outlet for identity filling a need as they search for their place in the Arab-American diaspora. So now is your turn. What's a song that represents your personal diaspora story? Here's how to send us your response. Go to notesfromamerica.org and look for the record button to leave us a message. Start with your name and where you're recording from. Then tell us the name of that song, the artist, and a short story that goes along with it. Feel free to include a little bit about your background as well. Make it your own. And please make sure that your recording is at least a minute long. We'll gather all the songs and your stories in Spotify playlists that will drop regularly all summer long. All right, I think that's everything. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. And I can't wait to hear from you. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. 
In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and I'm still joined by our producer, Regina Dehir, who is telling us the history of Afrobeats. And Regina, one thing I've learned from you in previous conversations about your love for Afrobeats is that the sound is really a gradual combination of a bunch of different genres that ultimately kind of blended together into the Afrobeats sound that we hear today. Yeah, exactly. And In my conversation with Christian Adolfo, he teased apart that process for me, starting with this genre called High Life. Now, I know High Life music as the music my mom would play as she cleaned the house on the weekends, or music that would play at family parties that the, you know, the old people would Mm -hmm. dance to. But it turns out High Life music came from this very distinct time in history, Mm. before Ghana was even called Ghana. Back then, Ghana was a British colony defined only by its resources of oil, cacao, and gold. So Christian told me about how High Life music was born in the Gold Coast. Yeah, so when I, when I always think about high life, that as a genre, you're thinking about brass instruments which were initially brought over through military uh, regiments and the fact that the people that were recruited through the British Army, white army members, couldn't handle the heat and were really getting sick. And because the white army members kept getting sick, the British had to recruit black Americans and Caribbeans who brought their own distinct sounds. You know, the 4-4 rhythms alongside being able to play calypso style rhythms as well as kind of jazz rhythms on these brass instruments. And the Ghanaians hear these rhythms and add their own vibe to it. And thus, this new fusion is born. High life. So... When I think about that genre, it's weird because you think about colonialism, but what kind of starts to grow off the back of that is a deep appreciation and, and love for these genres that are from Africa, but also from African-Americans as well, stationed there and listening to these songs. And the thing about highlight music is, a lot of the music was political. Even though it grew out of Britain's military occupation, it becomes the soundtrack to Ghana's independence movement. And later, when that movement succeeds and Ghana becomes the first independent nation in sub-Saharan Africa, highlight music becomes the national music. And Kwame Nkrumah, who's the first president of Ghana, he readily wanted people to understand, you know, you don't only show a country's prosperity through military superiority, you can also show it through the culture. So he's very big in investing in, like, you know, young and up and coming people in the arts through theatre, 
through fashion and also through music. So for me, it's very much like a uniting Pan-African sound of joy as well. Can you talk more about how the sound of Pan-African joy function in these freedom movements? I think, yeah, so when I speak about particularly like E.T. Mensa, for example, and a number of different other bands, these anthems and, you know, being able to move, being able to dance, being able to, like, forget about your worries played such a big part in allowing these people to, you know, really unite different ethnic groups in Ghana who would before would have been seen as you know, very distinct tribes but really wanted to um, get behind someone who would be their leader and move them forward. Um, and so when I think about that time as well, it's one of it's one of self-actualization and coming of age for a country that before then was just defined by its resource being called the Gold Coast, but knowing that we were so rich further than that. So it was, yeah, it was a very kind of buoyant time feeling that independence, you know, and off the back of that, you know, many, several different countries around us and nearby were inspired enough to go and gain their own independence as well. So there was definitely like a catalyst and the music as well made such a big difference in propelling that forward. Which brings us over to Nigeria. And if you know someone from Ghana, you know how much it pains me to say this. But I must give credit where credit is due. You cannot talk about Afrobeats without talking about Afrobeat. That's without an S. I know it's confusing, but these are two different things. Afrobeat is a genre that took that high life sound that Christian described and mixed it with this traditional Yoruba sound. And also incorporating influences from American funk, like James Brown. And what emerged got its name from one of Nigeria's most global superstars, Fela Kuti. Yeah, so Afrobeat Without an S, coined by Fela Kuti in the mid-60s to early 70s. But I think within that, you know, it's very visceral. There's a lot of heavy political commentary that underpins it as well when it's led by him. And... When you think about, you know, Nigeria at the time and what the plight was for people there as well, the fact that, you know, he had, he had such a figure who would lead these nightly um, sessions at the Shrine, which was his club in Lagos, he was very much, you know, dispelling any censorship with regard to having these nightly jams in that respect. Because now Nigeria is independent, yet people are still facing censorship and oppression. It's just coming from a different place. Instead of the British, it's coming from a new African government. So, Vail is creating space for a new movement to emerge in the midst of all that. But what does that sound like? When I think about, you know, the big bands and because a lot of these tracks were nine, 10, 15 minutes long. You begin to understand his musicianship 
to build the layering, you know, the different kind of drum element, the layering of vocals as well. Almost the, the ritual aspect of some ways, some people would call it like a hymn or chanting, because eventually when they, they all collide and they build together, there is like a trance-like state that you get into. So I think for me, when I think about that drone, I think about it being very direct, very, very forthright, but at the same time, you're dancing, but there is a lot of sorrow around the messaging too that underpins the lyricism, which shows testament that to this day and now, why it's so strong and why people keep using it as a reference. So just to recap this lineage we've been walking through, Afrobeats has these roots in Ghana's independence movement and in Nigeria's post-colonial politics. That's where it started. And then it starts to spread around the world. By the 80s and 90s, this incredible exchange starts to develop between young Black people in the UK and in the US and young people in West Africa. They start listening to each other's music and they discover one another's true stories in the lyrics. Because I think you also have to understand, I guess before that you had, there was AIDS crisis and drought and famine and coups and, you know, food packages always being dropped off. And like the idea that you suddenly have, you know, a new genre in which you have people coming directly from there that dispel all these images and ideas of what a place looks like so how, or how people navigate. It's such a big thing. So I think that relationship comes through in a lot of the, the lyricism and like the deeper meanings of the music. When I think about this period, I think a lot about uh, Reggie Rockstone, who I I met my first time in Ghana. Um, I definitely didn't understand the magnitude of who he was and his contribution to the story of what would become Afrobeats. So can you explain how his music um, illustrates the culture exchange of the time between West Africa and the U.S.? He spent a little time here in in the UK as well, in Brixton. And I think this idea that, you know, you're a young black and you're mobile, being able to hop between different countries, which wasn't afforded to our parents so much, you know, they might just go to one country, stay there, come back to Ghana, that's it. The mm-hmm. idea that you... you have like a degree of leisure with regard to how you can go to different places, how you can link up with different people who share similar heritage to you as well. And you can connect, you know, being able to go to America and work with different producers, um, understand that you can sample these kind of high life classics and thinking about how you bring the past into the present was such a big thing. And I think now, seeing how he's helped kind of mentor a lot of the up-and-coming groups um, in Ghana, whether it be just like showing up or helping them with like, you know, studio time and stuff, just shows the the kind of legacy and understanding that, you know, when you do things you don't do in silo, you do it to try and give back in some kind of way. And I think those early albums are a testament to being that kind of cyclical give-back energy Mm-hmm. that we see more and more now in the present with, with collaboration internationally. Yeah, and 
Can you give any examples, any song examples from those early days that really illustrate that point? I do remember Keep Your Eyes on the Road. That was one in particular because I remember like the drum beat and the, the chorus as well. It was like, it was sung in such a kind of low, bassy tone that it would just like kind of instantly just kind of hit you before any of the instruments came in. And then like, I know it was played in a lot of the, the hall parties I used to go to and I used to be like, <laughs> turn my head and be like, what is this? I think as well on top of that, you know, growing up in our cultures, if you see someone with like rasta hair, they immediately think they're like a bad person or they're up to some kind of madness or whatever. And yeah, they're stereotypes. Even, yeah, stereotypes. And I think even if you go to Ghana now to a certain extent, you know, the elders would be looking as if like, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. you shouldn't be looking. But I think having someone like that, having such a powerful cultural impact, you know, we're no longer talking about how he's looking or how he's presented anymore because, you know, he's had such a big kind of cultural contribution and that, that should far away, you know, anyone's dress sense or how they might present as well. You mentioned dance halls and, you know, being in clubs as a college student and things like that. Um, I wonder about that time period in your life of discovering music in, in the world. Um, what were you hearing and how did that connect to what would become Afrobeats and your, your love for it? So my dad, back in the day, he was a DJ and used to play a lot of kind of hall parties and house parties um, around London and the Southeast. And every Sunday, he would go to like um, a local market near me. And there was an uncle who used to sell like all the latest imports of CDs and vinyls and stuff, fresh from not only just Ghana, but like across West Africa as well as like make his own compilations of like up and coming artists at the time here. And my dad would, we would go there, but other times he would come to us after church and he would bring maybe five to 10 CDs and he would play and we'd be like a listening party, play it. And then my dad would then ask me and my brothers like, okay, which song bangs, which song is good, which song is not good kind of thing. And I think to be able to, allow us to be involved in that process of curation was such a big thing that, because DJs sometimes traditionally, they are quite resolute in what they like, maybe quite arrogant with an ego, but to be able to <laughs> allow your, like, your kids to kind of play a role in that and help them understand a bit more about their mother tongue and their culture was such a big thing for me. So I think my love of, of reading those kind of liner notes and listening to music a bit more from a deeper perspective came from that but it allows me to appreciate when music that comes directly from, you know, a mother country or come from the continent, if it sounds familiar, like it's been there before, then immediately I'll like start it again or we'll try and share it to someone else. Be like, oh, this sounds like so-and-so, what do you think, blah, blah. And it's that, it's infectiousness of being able to listen to something for the first time and feel like you can share it with other people as a gift. That's, that was such a big thing for me. So I feel like, so um, it's, it's been quite interesting in me trying to find my own lane of independence and digging through music that I've gone full circle in subconsciously knowing that this music leads me back to home in some kind of way. 
I love the idea of music leading us home. And that's really what I see as a point of this playlist project. The thing is, diaspora usually implies being displaced, but globalization has allowed these new identities to emerge. And for us who find ourselves in these new generations, we have the power to define what that means for us. I feel that, Regina. And I am reminded where we began this whole segment with your engagement ceremony and you walking into your hype girl songs, Ability, I think it was called, right? And like finding this whole relationship to being Ghanaian. And I'm just so happy for you. Thanks, Kai. And I hope listeners have some story or experience to share too. So listeners, what's a song that represents your personal diaspora story? Go to notesfromamerica.org to send us a voice recording. Start with your name, where you're from, and your response to our prompt. Remember to include the name of the song and the artist, and maybe tell us a short story that goes along with it. And also remember that you can start streaming the playlist right now at wnyc.org playlist. We're going to keep updating it throughout the summer with your submissions and with your stories, so don't miss out. Chime in. And thanks for participating. Also, you can keep up with the playlist and talk to us about everything else that we do by finding us on Instagram. You can talk to us there. You can hear about upcoming episodes. And you can even watch extra content that is only available right there on Instagram. So find us by searching for Notes with Kai. That's Notes with K-A-I. Follow us and then send us a message about whatever is on your mind. We will always respond. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Mixing and theme music by Jared Paul. Reporting, producing, and editing by Billy Estreen, Karen Frillman, Regina Dehir, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer. I'm Kai Wright. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you.